basically back again here in Moody'sburn to see all your lovely faces. And I trust that God will bless us as we turn to his word this morning. We're greatly indebted to the Apostle Paul for giving to us uh, 13 wonderful letters in the New Testament. If you believe he wrote Hebrews, well then you've got 14. But at least 13 we know came from his great pen. And I want to read from Romans chapter 1, please. The epistle to the Romans. And this is the most systematic and the most logical of all Paul's letters. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, for the resurrection from the dead. By whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ? To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come on to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you, by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This year, dear friends, as you probably know, we have been remembering certain events here in 2017. Uh, some time ago, we were remembering what happened a hundred years ago at the great conflict during the First World War of Parsondale. And then just recently, a few days ago, we were, we were remembering what happened 20 years ago when Princess Diane 
uh, was killed in that very tragic car accident 20 years ago on the 31st of last month. And then, when we come to the month of October, we shall be remembering something that happened 500 years ago. 500 years ago. Uh, what was that? Well, it was the Great Reformation that was brought about by the great Martin Luther. And in October we shall be celebrating that happened way back in 1517, which was instigated by the great Martin Luther. And I feel, dear friends, this morning to speak not on the Reformation as such, but to speak to you on this man, Martin Luther, that was instrumental unto God to bring about uh, this great uh, work of God. So for a little time this morning we're going to have a look at uh, the man and the life of Martin Luther. He was born on the 10th of November 1483 and he died on the 18th of February 1546, uh, nearly 63 years of age. And what we're going to do this morning, very quickly and briefly, we're going to look at Martin in five simple ways. First of all, we're going to have a look at Martin as the clever one. And then second, Martin as the religious one. Thirdly, Martin as the mistaken one. Fourthly, Martin as the enlightened one. And then fifthly, Martin as the converted one. Five aspects of the life of Martin Luther. First of all then, we think of Martin as the clever one. Even though he was a son of a poor miner, he went on to study law and philosophy in university. He gained his Bachelor of Arts degree, his BA, in 1502. He went on to gain his Master of Arts degree, his MA, in 1505. He went on to receive his doctorate, Doctor of Theology, in 1512. And he ended up as a professor of Bible studies at Wittenberg University. So you see, immediately, dear friends, we're looking at someone who was very educated and very clever. We would say today, part of the intelligentsia. Very cultured, educated man. BA, MA, Doctor of Theology, and also a professor of Bible studies at university. Great in intellect. A tremendous man of ability, mentally, educationally, academic, culturally. But then look at secondly at Martin Luther as the religious one. He was a devout Roman Catholic from the medieval Roman Catholic Church. Not just a nominal Roman Catholic, but a very devoted one to all the rites and ceremonies of the medieval Catholic Church at that particular time. 
He found himself in a, a storm on one occasion, and it frightened him, and he decided that he would become a monk. And he joined the monastery in 1505. So he was a very religious person, brought up in the culture of the medieval Catholic Church. But then we come thirdly, very quickly, to Martin Luther as the mistaken one. Now you're probably saying, Stanley, why do you describe him as mistaken? Well, let me explain. If you know anything of the life of Martin Luther, you will of course know that uh, there was in the mind of Martin Luther this tremendous thought, God is righteous. God is holy, God is just. And because God is righteous and just and holy, he demands from his creatures righteousness because of who God is. And if God's righteous and just, and if he demands righteousness from his creatures, then the question in Martin Luther's mind was this, how am I going to produce this righteousness that God demands? That was his dilemma. That was his problem. How was he going to produce it? God's righteous, I must be righteous. God is just, I must be just. God is holy, so I must be holy. How am I going to produce that righteousness? But of course, to Martin Luther, there was only one way. And that was to continue in the teaching and the rites and ceremonies of the Roman Catholic Church at that particular time. That meant going to uh, constant confessions. That meant engaging in fastings over and over again. And also it meant self-mortification. And there were times in the monastery in which his fellow monks had to lift Martin Luther up from the ground because... He was so weak from fasting and going to confessions and going through all the rites of the church that he was so weak and they had to lift him up because of self-mortification. And all the time he was desperate to try and produce this righteousness that would satisfy a holy and a just God. And there was one thought that absolutely terrified him. And that was, what if he was to die suddenly, unexpectedly? Would his righteousness that he's been working for and trying to produce, would it be acceptable as he's ushered him into the presence of God? And it terrified him if he suddenly died. Now can you not see, dear friends, something of the conflict mentally, spiritually, emotionally in the mind of Martin Luther. And this went on, we're told, not just for a few weeks or for a few months. It went on for a number of years, struggling, trying to achieve 
this righteousness that God demanded. And that is why I've said he was mistaken in his idea. We come forthly to Martin the Enlightened One. By Martin Luther discovered an old Latin Bible. And he began to read the old Latin Bible, in Latin of course, and he came across a little verse away in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4, in which it says, The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And it stuck in his mind and in his memory. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 The just shall live by faith uh, Dear friends May I test you this morning That reference is found three times In the New Testament Here we have it in Romans chapter 1 You have it in Galatians 3 You have it in Hebrews 11 The just shall live by faith and I'm so glad to say that light and truth and revelation began to pour into the mind, the darkened mind of Martin Luther. And here we see God beginning to work wonderfully in his life. Now there is in a library in Germany in a glass case a manuscript and it was written by Dr. Paul Luther now Dr. Paul Luther was Martin Luther's youngest son and I should say here that uh, as you probably know Martin Luther married a former nun Katharina von Bora and uh, together they produced a family of six and Dr. Paul Luther was the reformer's younger son and uh, in that manuscript in Dr. Paul Jung his own writing he says these words and I quote in the year 1544 my late dearest father in the presence of us all narrated the whole story of his journey to Rome listen to this he acknowledged with great joy that in that city through the spirit of Jesus Christ he had come to the knowledge of the truth of the everlasting gospel it happened in this way as he repeated his prayers on the Lutheran staircase the words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind the just shall live by faith thereupon he ceased his prayers returned to Wittenberg and took this as the chief foundation of all his doctrine the just shall live by faith now then dear friends let me give to you his own words the words of Martin Luther here's what he says 
before those words, that's the words that you shall have faith, before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God. Now notice that. I hated God and was angry with him because not content with frightening us sinners by the law and by the miseries of life he still further increased our torture by the gospel because he didn't understand the gospel but when by the spirit of God I understood those words the just shall live by faith then I felt born again like a new man I enter through the open doors into the very paradise of God. Henceforward, he says again, I saw the beloved and holy scriptures with other eyes. The words that I had previously detested, I began from that hour to value and to love as the sweetest and most consoling words in the Bible. In very truth, this text was to me the true gate of paradise. And Luther was wonderfully and gloriously saved. What a testimony. Light entered his mind and soul and became a new creature in Christ Jesus. But that's when the trouble started. You're probably saying, Stanley, why is that? He's got wonderfully converted to. You say the trouble has started. Well, on the 31st of October, 1517, he nailed his 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, protesting against the abuses of the sale of indulgences and other practices in the medieval Roman Catholic Church. And that is why he nailed his 95 theses on the door because he was disgusted at the abuses in the medieval church. And of course that did not please a certain person. And that person was the Pope. Who is this Luther who has the audacity and the cheek to call into question my authority as the Pope? And he found himself in deep water, hounded by the other priests and the Pope. Or to eventually in 1520, he was excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. And on the 31st of October, when he nailed those theses to the church at Wittenberg, that was the beginning, because something happened that Luther didn't anticipate. What was that? Those 95 theses were translated from Latin into German and because of the recent invention of the Clinton press they were circulated far and near among the people and of course that did not please the Pope either and of course Luther was asked to recount but he wouldn't do it with the result he had to leave the church 
Now three of his key convictions that led to his break with Rome were these. Here's the first one. One, he maintained that salvation is a free gift of God and cannot be purchased by money or good works. Two, the Bible and not the church or the papacy is the only source of divinely revealed knowledge. Three, all baptized believers form a holy priesthood and are not to be held hostage by the clergy. They were the three convictions that brought about the glorious and wonderful Reformation under Martin Luther. And dear friends, we owe a tremendous lot today for the boldness and the courage of Luther taking a stand in his day and generation in the 16th century. And that is why when we come to October, we shall be remembering the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Now you're saying, Stanley, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> that happened way back in, in the 16th century but uh, we're living in the 21st century hasn't things changed well we still have the old bachelor living in the Vatican City the Pope he's still there and we've still got the priests you've still got the, the Roman Catholic Church around about you let me give you an example and this didn't happen 500 years ago. This happened quite recently. I was speaking to a woman. Witnessing to her about the Lord. And this woman happened to be a Roman Catholic. Not a nominal Roman Catholic, I may say, but a very devout Roman Catholic. And I was speaking to her, witnessing to her about the Lord and about salvation. And you know what she said to me? She says, Mr. Shaw, the Bible says, work out your own salvation. Now, having studied Roman Catholic theology, I knew exactly where she was coming from. Work out your own salvation by good works. Go to the confession, do what the priest tells you, go through all the rites of the ceremony of the Roman Catholic Church, work out your own salvation. I knew where she was coming from. And I, I said very graciously, I said, that's true, my dear, it does say that in Philippians 2 and verse 12. Now then, would you please tell me the next verse? Ah, but she couldn't. And I had to do it for her. I said, the next verse says these words. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And in a very gracious way I said, my dear, you can only work out that which God has worked in Oh, she says, is that what it means? You see, taking those words, work out your own salvation. Oh, no, friend, it didn't mean what she thought it meant. What Paul
Paul was saying to those believers at Philippi. God has worked already salvation into your life. Now then, work it out not to be saved, but because you are already saved by the grace of God. Uh, dear friends, uh, the teaching of Rome is just the same today. How can an infallible church change? They claim that the church is built upon Peter. And they, they, they take you to Matthew chapter 16. In which the Lord said to Peter, Thou art a Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. With the implication, the church is built upon Peter. Wait a minute, sir. Wait a minute, sir. The church isn't built upon Peter. Let me just, just be very clear here. That in the original, when the Lord said, Thou art Peter. The Greek word for Peter is Petrus. And when the Lord said, Upon this rock. The Greek word is Petra. Two distinct Greek words. Peter, Petros, a little fragment, a little stone. Petra, a great gigantic rock. And what the Lord said, the church is not built upon Peter, but built upon the confession that Peter made. When the Lord said, whom do men say that I am? And the disciples say, when I, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of the prophets, some say you're Jeremiah. And then he says, but who do you say I am? And then Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you. But my father which is in heaven. That was the confession Peter made. Thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. And the Lord said upon this rock. This confession. I will build my church. My ecclesia. The church of that built upon a mere preacher. Peter. But built upon our wonderful and glorious Lord Jesus. Luther the clever one, yes. Luther the religious one. Luther the mistaken one. Luther the enlightened one. Luther the converted one. And Luther was asked to recount with regard to justification by faith. And here's what he said. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. He wouldn't recant. He wouldn't go back one iota. He took a stand for God. And for the glorious truth of justification by faith. You see we're saved by grace on God's part. And we're saved by faith on our parts. You can't buy salvation. You can't work for salvation. Forget your church going. That will never save you. Forget morality. That will never save you. Forget your self-righteousness. That will never save you. We're saved by grace alone. 
Here's what Paul says. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that is why I read from Romans chapter 1. Here's what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's a great statement to make. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. My dear friends, let me, you listen very carefully. It's not just sufficient for preachers to stand up and make great statements. Anybody can do that. Preachers must be prepared to give reasons why they are making these statements. And here's the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And he gives us two reasons. He backs it up with two reasons. Here's the first one. It is the power of God unto salvation. Going back to the Greek, the word that Paul uses is the very word where we get dynamite from. Dynamo, dynamic from. Of course, there's no dynamite in Paul's day, but it's a speaking of power that overcomes all obstacles. And who better to testify of God's power in the gospel than Paul? Look at the change it made in Paul's life. Not ashamed of the It's the power of God. Here's someone that hated Christians. He had no time for them. He persecuted them. And he had no time for Jesus Christ. Who's this man who, who says that the Messiah, he was crucified on the cross? But of course, Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 9 records for us uh, his wonderful conversion on the road to Damascus. Oh, what a conversion he had. At midday, almost reaching Damascus, when suddenly, and sometimes, friend, God does things suddenly. He doesn't send you a phone call or send you a letter. He just does things suddenly, suddenly. There's this light that shone from heaven around Paul. And listen to this. He heard the audible voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? There he is in the dust, the proud Pharisee. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? And back came the answer. I am Jesus. Who Jesus? But he's dead. They crucified him. Ah, but Paul realized he wasn't confronting a wee bunch of insignificant Christians. He's confronting the risen Christ, the dynamic Christ, who did die and was raised again triumphantly from the dead. You know, friends, I have to smile sometimes when I read the, the explanations of the so-called modernists. Because if you reject something supernaturally, you have to explain it naturally. And they say to us, ah, oh, you don't expect us today to, to believe this about this great change in Paul. Oh, no, it didn't happen that way. And they try to give an explanation. Now, this may seem comical to us. Ah, they say, what happened was this. It was a very hot day. The sun was really hot that day. Nearly midday. And what happened? Saul actually had, he suffered from sunstroke. It was too warm for him. Sunstroke. Oh no, some say, oh no. 
it wasn't sun. What happened was that it was, it was epilepsy. That's it. He had a fit of epilepsy. And that, ex- that explains psychologically the change in his life. Now, that isn't anything new, friends. That was in circulation even in Spurgeon's day in the 18th century and when old Spurgeon the great Baptist preacher heard it what he said he says oh blessed epilepsy that can change sinners into saints and persecutors into preachers oh Lord send us a great dose of epilepsy no friends it wasn't sunstroke it wasn't epilepsy it was a confrontation of the mighty power of God that changed Paul from the persecutor into the preacher, from the sinner into the saint. Uh, dear friends, if you're not saved this morning, this meeting, that same gospel is powerful to save you today in this meeting. Because God is still in the business of changing lives. I was preaching last Sunday in, in Heart Hill. And after the service, I was shaking hands with people that I usually do. And this young man came to me and he says, could I have a word with you? I took him into, into another room and I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. God spoke to him that evening. And he got wonderfully and gloriously said, you see, it's still powerful today in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century. That's the first reason. It's the power of God on the salvation. Here's the second reason. He says in verse 17, For therein is declared the righteousness of God. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Dear friends, when our Lord Jesus died on the cross, he paid our debt. He satisfied forever God's righteous claims. And if we come to him, what happens? He clothes us in the righteousness of God. And what a rule that is. He clothes us in the righteousness of God. And that is why Paul could say in Romans chapter 8 of the same epistle, Who is he that condemneth? It is God that justifieth. And when God justifies a man or a woman or a young person, there's no one can point a finger of accusation. Because our Lord Jesus paid my debt. And payment God would not twice demand. First for my bleeding shoe in his hand. And again, that is. I love the words of the old hymn. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's the righteousness. You see, God does demand righteousness. But the truth of the gospel is this, and this is Luther was mistaken. He thought he had to produce it. God demands the righteousness, but he provides it in the person of his wonderful and his lovely son, the Lord Jesus. Oh, friends, this morning, 
Oh, I should say afternoon because it's ten past twelve. Tell me, are you saved? Are you converted? Are you right with God? If death was the take of this moment, where would you be in eternity? Are you saved, converted, born again? Luther experienced it. I have never met Luther, but one day I shall meet him. I'll meet him in the streets of glory. I'll make a beeline to him and I'll say, Luther, come here a minute. I was speaking about you in Moody's Burn Church. <laughs> and you know, I can imagine Luther saying to me, Now, Stanley, I hope you gave God all the glory for what he'd done in my life. And so, I have to do it now before I meet him. Friends, what happened in Luther's life was God gets all the glory. Luther could have sung that hymn. He was, he was a great singer. Also a great instruments. If the hymn was in vogue, is that he could say, Naught have I gotten, but what I've received. Grace has bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. This is my story, to God be the glory. I'm only a sinner. Saved by grace. Did I hear a hallelujah? <laughs> Think of John Newton, that great, that great man of God. We know John Newton probably because of one reason, because of a hemi wrote. And we love to sing it. Oh, I love to sing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton was a drunkard, an alcoholic, and engaged in the evil slave trade. But God wonderfully saved him. And as a result, he, he penned that lovely hymn, Amazing Grace. He became a church minister. And for many years he served in the gospel, in the church. Now, you know, those of the older generation in the church. And I look into some of you. That's where you're getting on. Is that as young as you used to be? And as you know, dear friends, as you get old, certain things happen. The younger ones, it hasn't even happened yet. It will eventually. That's the bad news. The old eyesight begins to go, friends. And you have to go to the optician to get the old glasses, the old eyesight. See some of your word glasses. And then, of course, not just the eyesight, but the old hearing begins to go. What did you say? Did you speak up? <laughs> and then, sad to say, the old memory goes. You see that wee woman come before you in the street. And you know who she is. You know the face. But for the life of you, you can't put a name to the face. What's her name? And nine times out of ten, if you do give a name, it's wrong. <laughs> the old man will begin to go. And that happened with uh, John Newton. The old man will begin to go. Now, that's very bad for a preacher, <laughs> believe you me, when the memory begins to go. Isn't that right, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not that you're old. 
and they, they, very, they very graciously said to Mr. Now Mr. Newton we love you you've been here for many many years you're a great minister but Mr. Newton you begin to forget things oh yes you begin to forget things now here's what, here's what John Newton said oh my dear friends he said I have to confess I'm getting old and the old memory's not as good as it used to be ah but he says there's two things I can never forget one I'm a great sinner two Jesus Christ is a great saviour those two things he could never forget I'm a great sinner but Jesus Christ is a great saviour and dear friends if you don't know him this morning or afternoon come to know him get to know him why not remain behind there's workers here today we shall be delighted to point you not to the church this church will never save you I can never save you but thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins and here's good news for you he has a 100% success rate he has never failed yet no man, no woman, no young person has ever come to him in repentance and called upon him and have found him deficient he can save from the guttermost unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him my friends, I'll have to stop the comment. just get into it but I'll have to stop. Thank you for listening very patiently. And don't forget, in October, we shall remember the 500th anniversary of the glorious and wonderful Reformation instigated with the great Martin Luther. God bless you.